0: Well, again, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. Good morning, Village Church. Good morning. morning. We are teaching through the book of Genesis, and right now we are getting to the very end of the life of Jacob. If you'd open up your Bibles with me uh, to Genesis chapter 31, verse 21. That's where we're going to start. Verse 20, that's where we're going to start this morning. Uh, I want to talk about, before we get into the text Patterns in your life. We're going to think about your life over the last decades, and we're going to see if either the Holy Spirit or the Word of God can bring up some really consistent patterns and themes in your life. And typically, uh, patterns are going to either be positive or negative, but also, I want you to catch this. Oftentimes, uh, we are the last ones to see the patterns. Uh, Sometimes, in order to see some of the major patterns of our life, uh, we kind of have to get outside of ourselves, take a a bird's eye view of our life, just kind of reflect, and then we need people we love and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to kind of show us some of these patterns. So, I want to share with you uh, a positive and then a negative pattern in my life to maybe set some example here of what this could look like. Uh, It was about my early 30s, and I started to realize that every single ministry that God had ever put me in had a couple things in common. Number one, things were crazy. Number 2, people were hurt, and number 3, I was in over my head. Every single time, that's the same pattern. And so as I as I started to jump into these circumstances, what I found was that the results were actually unusually similar time and time again. I would jump into a circumstance and my job would be to create culture And somehow God would use the leadership that I was in to bring health to hurting people more quickly than I think they or I expected. Now, did that happen all the time? Say no. No, but you start to see these patterns. And so people, my mentors, started calling this out. Like, I think the Lord might have a common theme with you. It seems that whatever he calls you to, it's just a little crazy and nuts, and then he throws you into it. And I was like, wow, that's really, really interesting. And so for the first 20 years of my ministry, almost everything that the Lord has called me into has been that sort of context. And I started to see these patterns, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Now, that would never have been a script that I wrote for myself. right? Uh, oftentimes when it comes to calling and what the Lord's asking you to do, we have grandiose visions for what that might be. And the Lord's like, yeah, adorable. What I want to do with you is actually very different. Now let me talk to you about a negative pattern of leadership in my life. Um, I have uh, the strong ten- uh, tendency to do what I call leading far too ahead, which means if I know the vision or I know what God is moving to, here's what I do. I start sprinting toward it, right? Even if nobody's with me, I'm just like, let's go! We're going to take the hill, right? And people are like, I'm sorry, what hill? What's his name? Why are we going there, and how are we going to get there? Do you have the money to do that? And I'm like, I don't care! Let's do it now. So this this goes all the way back from 19 years old, but I remember the first time that I really came face-to-face with realizing this pattern, uh, and I was on a mission trip with our students to Kentucky, mid-2000s, maybe 12, 14 years ago, I don't know. And, uh, and we knew where we needed to get to. By the way, it was the worst trip I'd ever been on. Have you ever been um, hiking but soaking wet for seven days straight? It's the, it is the worst ever. Nothing, there's no two weeks of my life that were worse. So all I wanted to do in this day was get to the camp where we were supposed to be. So I had a vision. I had, I don't know, 20 people behind me, and I'm like, let's go! So me and like two other dudes were like way far ahead. Well, the distance between me at the front and the people at the back got bigger and bigger and bigger until my wife lovingly, um, graciously confronted me and saying, this is what you do. This is like a metaphor for all of your leadership. This is it. Watch this right now. Do you see all those girls in the back whose like, ankles are bleeding because they have blisters all over their feet, and they can't go at the pace you're going? Do you see how selfish this is? Now, I don't know what she said right exactly, but I do remember she wasn't thrilled. I was guilty, and the spirit was like, you do this all the time. And I'm like, no. And so, so what I've had to learn is that I have these tendencies in my life, and, and then what I start to see is the consequences is that the people I'm leading are frustrated with me, and they're feeling not communicated with. And so like this is one of those negative patterns, but it took me probably 10 years of even leading before somebody, my wife, had the guts to tell me, like, hey, this is what you do. This is a problem. And by the way, in the wake of this, people get hurt. Now, I'm a, I'm a deeply relational guy, and so when people are hurt by that, I'm like, oh, that, that was painful for me to see. Negative, negative patterns Um, Usually you're not going to experience them or know them until you experience the consequence, right? Um, If if I knew that the consequence of leading ahead was going to have that effect on that many people, do you think I would have done it? Well, maybe. (laughs) but I would have thought twice about it and tried to use some, some restraint, hence the nature of patterns and habits, right? Um, but, he, but here's the deal. Until you start seeing the consequences, you're not always aware that these things are patterns. So let me give you some other examples. Maybe you've been divorced two or three or more times. That would definitely be a pattern. Maybe you've been arrested multiple times. You're like, multiple times, Michael? One isn't a pattern, okay? You're allowed to get arrested once, maybe. That was me, 17 years old. Uh, but it didn't happen twice. Maybe you've been kicked out of multiple schools. Maybe, you've been, maybe you have multiple broken relationships in the wake of your life. Maybe you have multiple job losses. Maybe it's not just one neighbor who hates you, but it's multiple neighbors hate you. I mean, anybody can have a bad experience once, but when the experience starts repeating itself, maybe, just maybe, there's a pattern. So let's talk about Jacob because we're in the series on the life of Jacob. Jacob is about 84 years old-ish, give or take a year or two. What do you imagine the negative pattern in Jacob's life is? I'll give you a word here, and the word has been actually in the title of every single one of the sermons throughout the, throughout the Messenger series on Jacob, and it's grappling Jacob is a grappler. In fact, I want to remind you of the definition of the word grappling. It's in hand-to-hand combat. Grappling is a close fighting technique used to gain a physical advantage, such as improving relative position or causing injury to the opponent. Grappling typically does not include the use of weapons. Simply putting yourself in the dominant position, it doesn't matter where Jacob is, if there's somebody who might be above him, stronger than him, richer than him, or have something that he wants, Jacob's like life objective is to have the dominant position and it's started all the way back in the womb. If you remember back in the womb, he had a twin brother. His twin brother's name was... Esau. Wonderful. And in the womb, uh, their mother was so concerned because there was so much turmoil in her in her tummy. And then finally she realizes, oh wow, these kids are fighting. As the kids got older, she probably realized in retrospect, it wasn't Esau. It was Jacob constantly fighting. Uh, she's giving birth, and Esau comes first, and Jacob's like, oh, uh, no way. I want first position. So he's holding on to Esau's ankle as they come out of the womb. I mean, this is kind of crazy. Uh, the story just continues. Uh, one one day Jacob or Esau is, is so hungry and Jacob has been waiting for this moment to exploit him and take advantage of him and so he tricks him into taking his birthright, this huge, huge, beautiful, powerful thing that a father gives to the oldest son that had with it monetary repercussions and authority and, and, and Jacob, the younger brother, takes this and later on uh, Jacob tricks and disguises and lies and cheats everybody and takes not just the birthright but the blessing and so what you see here is that Jacob is constantly grappling one after another, and then, and then here's what happens. Let me just give you the overview of how this works. Jacob knows something's wrong because he's going to experience the same consequence over and over again. The consequence is this. He has to flee from his life again and again because his family wants him dead. Like, do you think there's a pattern? Do you think this is a negative pattern? I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, when you find yourself running for your life Because your very own blood, want you dead, there is definitely a problem here. Now, I've said this every single week. Genesis is a mirror. Uh, Genesis is written to put a mirror up to your heart, into your soul, into your life, and to say, here you are. Where are you in this story? And one of the questions I want to ask you on a personal level is you look at your life. Where are the negative themes? Where are the negative patterns that come up? And at the end, I want to give you some stuff that's going to help you and encourage you on that. Genesis 31.20, if you're new with us, I want to set up this story a little bit because the life of Jacob is sort of a long one. Uh, There are two main players. Here's the first main player. His name is Jacob. He is a deceiver. He's a manipulator chosen by God despite himself, intent on revenge towards Laban. Now, you should be asking who is Laban. I'm glad you asked. Laban is Jacob's uncle. A master deceiver tricked Jacob into marrying his ugly daughter, Leah. Nobody wanted to marry Leah. Tricked him, woke up the next morning, thought he was marrying Rachel. Oh no, he's actually marrying Leah. He is not excited about that. Worked seven years ultimately to get Leah, whom he didn't want anyways. Had to work another seven years to get Rachel. That's 14 years of working for a man who tricked you and schemed you. And then what's going to happen is he's going to spend the last six years with Laban scheming, plotting, planning, secretly, Jacob is going to get Laban back once and for all, and Jacob is going to walk away rich and getting him finally back. Let me, let me just actually show you uh, how this uh, pattern in Jacob's life works. First is this. He, he always goes to this core sin of deception. Whenever he wants something, he begins to deceive. Uh, the second thing that happens is the, is the other person experiences betrayal. And by the way, when people experience betrayal, usually they get infuriated. Well, that's what happens with his family. They're so angry that they want his life. And so Jacob is now left with the consequence, which is this. I better run or I'm about to die. This is the same story told again and again in Jacob's life. And here's the here's the thing. Now you'd want to look at him and just say, "Hey, why don't you go back to the beginning of that and repent of that core sin, that core thing that is launching this pattern over and over and over again in your life?" But if you are like Jacob, which you and I are, um, here's the deal: sometimes you don't even know you're in the pattern. You don't even know you're doing the thing until you get to the consequence, and you have to look back and say. Wow, I flee from my life a lot. Wow, all my neighbors hate me. Interesting, my ex-spouses can't stand me. Wow, it's not just one of my children who despise me. It's all my children. <clears throat> Interesting, I've lost five jobs in the same way. And you start putting the patterns together, but in the moment, you're not, you're not like looking at this in an orderly way. One day, the Lord just opens your eyes and says, could we talk? Maybe there's a pattern here, and maybe there's a core sin at this pattern that is launching it. Every time, over and over and over again. Now, here's my rule before we get into the text. Do not kick your spouse. Don't send them a text saying, here's your pattern, buddy, (laughs) right? Don't do that. Genesis 31, verse 20, I'm going to give you five warning signs that you might be reliving your negative pattern. Uh, These are warning signs that if you're experiencing these things right now, maybe that pattern of yours, you're in the middle of it. Currently, Number one, you are re-experiencing past consequences. It's like a deja vu experience. You're like, wait a minute, I've already ran for my life once already. Wait a minute, I've already gone through this scenario once already. Why am I experiencing this again? Here's what happens in verse 20 of chapter 31. Jacob tricked Laban. This is the deception. He's Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. Now, there's this whole trickery that happens before this. We're not going to go into it. You can read Genesis 30 and 31. Jacob plots this elaborate six-year scheme and ends up taking away so much wealth away from Laban. So he tricks him and leaves him. Why? Because he doesn't want his uncle to find out that he tricked him and schemed him for six years. He thinks his uncle's going to be upset with him. And would you be upset, by the way, if your nephew came and lied to you for six years and took the vast amount of your wealth? I think you could understand why Laban would be like a little bit upset here. So it says in verse 21, uh, he fled with all that he had, and this is the second time now that, that Jacob has been required to run for his life on a dime with all of his possessions. And he arose and he crossed the Euphrates and he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. All right, let's just agree. Is this a pattern? The answer is yes. Is it a negative pattern? Yes. Verse twenty two. When it was told Laban on the third day, which is interesting because he left and took all of the all of the kids and grandkids. They're all gone, and it took Laban three whole days to figure this thing out. But when he was told on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took Laban, his kinsmen, with him, pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. Now, Laban is angry, and he is flying, and I want you to hear me. Um, Laban wants to do harm to Jacob. This is not like a, hey, bro, can we talk? I want to just give my kids and grandkids a hug and a kiss goodbye. This is, I want to do harm to you. And by the way, legally and culturally, Laban had every right to harm or to kill Jacob. There would have been no FBI or police knocking on his door had he ended Jacob the moment he found him. So here's what happens. Yahweh intervenes. Now, I want you to to hear me. Jacob is in the middle of his negative sinful pattern. He is living it. He doesn't know it. He doesn't see it, but he's in the middle of it. And, And I wonder, as you start to look back over your negative sinful patterns, how many times the Lord was fighting for you in the middle of it, despite you and despite me. Like, he doesn't deserve anything. Jacob deserves to be killed, legally, culturally. What he did was the lowest of I, I thought I thought betraying your father and your brother is bad, but he 's just getting worse and better at deceiving and i, I and 'll be honest in this whole story, I just see god 's kind grace to Jacob in the middle of his negative pattern in the middle of this season. the Lord is just being so kind verse twenty five Laban finally overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me? Uh, Laban knows one of one of the worst experiences when you're in the season is to be confronted face to face with what you've actually done the question is is he going to be humble or is he going to be defensive it says this, and it says, you didn't tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre. Listen, man, I would have thrown you a party. Now, do you, do you really think Laban would have thrown him a party? I doubt it. Um, I, I doubt it. I love how they're both like, I'm a magnanimous man. I would have done amazing things. I would have been so kind. No, you wouldn't. We know. And why did you not permit me? This is a good point, verse 28. Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? You, you have done foolishly. You have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. How gracious of God to intervene in this moment and say, you are not permitted to do harm or good. Why not good? Because every time Jacob does anything, it's for the point of deception and manipulation. And so God knows Laban's heart and he just says, Listen, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to do anything good for him, to trick him, but you're also not allowed to harm him. You lay off him or I will end you. Laban gets the point. It is in my power to do you harm. He spoke to me and he said, Don't say, which just literally means say or do anything, good or bad. Now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did, this is a little bomb dropped in here, but why did you you steal my gods? Let's just set some context for a moment. Um, Here's what Jacob wants. Jacob wants to go home back to Israel. Why? Because that is where his birthright is, his blessing, his calling, his future, his God. Everything in his life is back there. And what you need to understand is that Laban's family didn't worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so here's what happens. Laban finally catches him, and he drops this little bomb. And by the way, I know that you stole one of my my gods. Uh, Number two, the second uh, second sign that you might be reliving negative patterns is you're justifying your sinful patterns. I want you to watch this dialogue because when you're in the middle of a negative pattern and you're confronted on it, Watch what comes out of you. It's very interesting. Jacob answered. He said to Laban, oh, well, here's why. Because, because I was afraid. I mean, really, were you afraid? Like, you actually don't know what's true and what's not true in this scenario. Like, everything I'm about to read to you, you, you should go, can I trust anybody here? And so what what the the author is doing is he's documenting their words, but their character has already been established. They are liars, deceivers, and tricksters. And so you actually don't know what is true and what is is not true. Here's what we do know. They're all playing games with each other, one-upping each other and trying to get the upper hand. He says, I was afraid for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. I mean, do you feel the tension here? Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen him. By the way, who does Jacob like more, Rachel or Leah? Rachel. Rachel. Like, this is his favorite wife, okay? And so now he's like, he has no idea. She's the one who stole it. He's basically just sentenced her to death. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but he didn't find them. And so she said to her father, "'Let not my Lord be angry.'" that I cannot rise before you for the way of the women is upon me. So she's menstruating and she's basically saying, don't come near me, okay? This is not a good time. You need to leave. But what she's actually doing is using this as a cover because she's a trickster and deceiver. You notice a pattern and theme, right? Your life patterns begin to be inherited by your children and then they pass on your negative patterns. Like eventually these negative patterns have to stop with the people of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Now, I get it. You're upset. You did just steal everything the guy owns basically. And you took all of his kids and grandkids and you fled without telling him. So like, do you really have permission to begin berating somebody in this moment? Now, I'm going to read you the, the next section of the story. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I want you to just hear the dialogue that happens here. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? <laughs> hmm, let me think. <laughs> all of them? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? You took my kids, my grandkids, my wealth. Hmm, I could go on and on. For you have felt through all my goods, what have, you found all of your house, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may be decide between the two of us. If you found anything, put it out. Let's all look at it, and then we'll, we'll let our people decide whose it actually is. I didn't take anything from you that wasn't already mine. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand, you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, victim. By day, the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house, I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Do you think Jacob's at his best right now, by the way? Like, maybe when you start ranting and raving, right, maybe, maybe things aren't okay. If the God of my father, I love how he brings God into this, you betraying backstabber, you're going to bring God into this? Like, no, I'm sorry, that's not how this works. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, right, just the drama to me that unfolds here is epic, had not been on my side, surely you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. I, I bet you in that moment, Jacob believed he was totally right. Have you ever, like in a rant and a rage, defended yourself, but deep down in your heart of hearts, you knew you were wrong? I've never done that. I'm just kidding. My wife's sitting back there. She's like, <laughs> She's like, you've done that. It's interesting when you're in the pattern, you can't see it, but everyone around you can look at it and they're like, can't you see yourself? Number three. Non-Christians initiate reconciliation first. Five signs you're reliving negative patterns. When the the godless ones around you are more godly and seeking peace and unity over you, maybe, maybe something is awry here. Look at verse 43. Then Laban answered and he said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine." And and it's almost like Laban's getting ready to defend himself and to go on also a rant, you know, when somebody rants like that, and then you want to go back and rant in return. And so it's almost like he gets a little bit of control. He remembers the threat of Yahweh over his life. And he says, but what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Like, what can I do? You've taken everything, you've run, and your God has stopped me dead in my tracks, threatened to end me if I am to do anything. So here's here's what we're going to do. Come now, verse 44. Let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar. It's interesting, you might, you might be reliving your negative patterns. You might be like in the middle of it. If the non-Christians around you are intervening and they're trying to create peace for you. Let me, let me just be really clear. I've watched this. I've watched Christians spiral and non-Christians enter in and say, something isn't right about that. It's interesting when you hear non-Christians comment on the behavior of a Christian and they say, that's weird. Like That's really dark and not normal. And so when you're in this, the deeper you go, the non-Christians in your life may step back and just say, something, something isn't right. And that is a warning sign where you just stop and you, you have to say, I am probably reliving a negative pattern in my life and it's doing harm for the gospel, harm for my soul, harm for my family, harm for my children. Pause, stop. Here's number four. People create laws just for you. Have you ever had anybody legislate you? (laughs) Have you ever had anybody say, rule? You're never allowed to blank. My wife has a few for me. I have one law for her. Screw the top and the lid on everything that you open. That's it. That's it. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar, verse 51, which I have set before you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. Here's the rule. You're not allowed to pass this line ever again. This is as far as you go. I, I think it's very interesting when people who love you create laws for you and around you. I want to just ask you this. Who in your life is making rules and laws for you? Let's start with your spouse. Are they legislating you? How about your boss? Are they beginning to make rules and laws around you to protect you from, from you? Your children As you get older, are your children intervening in your life? Dad, you're no longer allowed to blank. Mom, you're no longer allowed to blank. Your neighbors, your neighbors. I had a neighbor who sent me a letter threatening to sue me on behalf of the association if I didn't pick up my dog poop every two days. Apparently, he felt he needed to make laws Around me, when your neighbor and the association president says, uh, You don't pick up your dog poop enough. Like when people are making laws for you and legislating you, then clearly, like there's a relational break or there's a problem somewhere. So here's what the mature Christian does the mature Christian makes gracious laws for themselves. Some are positive to protect you from things you might have a propensity to. So, for example, if you struggle with alcoholism or addiction, then here's what the alcoholic says. We make a gracious law for ourselves that says we don't go into bars. That's a really good law to have. Like, not all laws are bad. Laws are written because there are law breakers. Like, if you ever see a law, you know that somebody tried it once. And so there was a parking lot two days ago. We were downtown with my kids, and it said no, our, I mean it said no mobile homes. And my daughter says, why would anybody take a mobile home in there? And I looked at her and I said, every law is written because somebody tried it once, right? What laws are written around you, there are positive laws. And then there are, there are just really smart laws that you make. Like, listen, I'm not going to drive in a car and alone with a woman who's not family. It's just that simple. These are really good laws that I put around myself. But when I don't make the laws for myself that I need to, then other people eventually, when I'm in my negative patterns, they start putting laws in place for me. So for me, uh, I shared with you my, my negative pattern of leading far too ahead. And so I have a bunch of laws that I have instituted against myself for about the last decade to try to protect me from this pattern. Here are some of the laws. I always run new vision by multiple people before I do anything about it. I bring teams into every new vision to bring out the best ideas. I intentionally evaluate so I have to face the repercussions of what I'm leading. Like, these are things that I have to put in place uh, so that I can prevent myself from becoming my worst self and leadership. Finally, number five, five. Five signs you're reliving negative patterns. Burned bridges accumulate. The very definition of a burned bridge is you, once you go over it, you burn it, and you can't go back. And what you need to see about Laban is this relationship is over and it is done Laban never comes up again. You're never going to hear a story. There's never going to be a time when Laban gets to see his kids and his grandkids again. Once and for all, this bridge is burned. They have totally ruined the relationship, and this thing is no more. Here's, here's how the story ends in verse 53. "The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us." That's what Laban says. I don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. I think I'm right. You think you're right. We probably deep down inside both know we're wrong. This thing is unreconcilable. So the God is going to have to judge. Your God and my God is going to have to judge between us. So we're going to part ways. It says, So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and he blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Never again to be in a relationship with his family ever again. If you're you're living a life where the burn bridges are accumulating behind you, I'm going to go with it's plausible you're in the middle of a negative pattern. Now some of you might be in the room and you might be saying, I don't have negative patterns, this isn't for me. Well, if you want to do any good for the sake of the kingdom, you're going to be watching negative patterns in other people. And what you want to do is equip yourself and arm yourself to enter into their patterns to stop them before it gets incredibly bad. And if you're somebody who says, oh, I don't have any negative patterns whatsoever. If you're over 30 or 40 years old, let me just give you a fair warning. You're deceiving yourself. I have yet to meet an older man or older woman who does not have negative patterns in their history. Maybe you struggle with self-reflection. Maybe you're defensive and you don't permit the people who love you the most to actually tell you what they are. It doesn't mean you're a murderer, right? But I guarantee you that there are negative patterns in your life. And I do find that for people in their, in their teens and 20s and sometimes early 30s, maybe you haven't lived enough life yet to be able to put it together and to place it. But as a part of the people of God, here's what we see throughout the book of Genesis. Negative patterns unaddressed get handed down from generation to generation to generation. And so it is incumbent upon us to find these things and the book of genesis is this huge warning to every single one of us in the room you don't identify it and deal with it decisively it will go and it will perpetuate for generations and generations negative patterns have this this stickiness to them that you just can't get them off of you until you fully repent and i want to i want to take this to two final so whats and here's here's the first one killing negative patterns is hard but it's doable it is hard but it's doable. Trusting in Christ accomplishes two incredibly helpful, amazing things for you uh, as you are overcoming negative patterns. The first thing it does is you find complete and total forgiveness for all of your foolishness and your sin and your negative patterns and all the harm that you've done to people. You can stand reconciled with a clear conscience before God that will never ever be used against you by God to punish you. Uh, there, was, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing to know that your relationship with God is secure, and you are forgiven, and he is not punishing you. Uh, you're not going to go to hell. You're not going to go to purgatory. Like Those things aren't going to happen to you if you are in Jesus Christ, period. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing that happens when you trust in Christ is he gives you the Holy Spirit, Which, by the way, is the Holy Spirit not incredibly helpful for overcoming sin? You only have one answer to that, by the way, and that is yes. The problem is we don't know how to utilize the Holy Spirit. We bypass the mechanisms that God has given us, thereby quenching the Holy Spirit. The vast majority of us don't know how to overcome sin because we don't actually know what to do. And in the process, we just quench the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's play a little game we'll called Choose Your Own Adventure. There are three options when it comes to negative patterns. I want you to pick one, option number one. God will leave you alone and let you grow impotent for Jesus for the rest of your life. You'll get to heaven, but you'll do very, very little for the kingdom. Anybody want that one? No one? Okay. God will wreck you until you repent. Anybody want that one? No one? Man, all right. How about this? You choose to repent. Anyone? So you have one of three, okay? I'm going to just make a strong suggestion. Nobody said I choose to repent. Nobody's wanted that one. So let me just give you a strong suggestion. I know it's a trick in the way I said it. Choose to repent. Now that is an elusive term for people, especially when it comes to overcoming sin patterns in your life. And so the the Word of God actually is is pretty overwhelmingly clear um, that when certain things don't happen, sin will continue in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a really helpful tool. It's a really helpful tool that I've used in my life. We use in counseling if you're mentoring anybody. But it's a tool you have to learn to use on yourself before you're really going to be able to use it on other people very effectively. And it's a tool for any level of repentance. And the deeper the sin, especially when the sin is such that it's repeating itself into negative patterns, the more difficult this is going to be. But if you bypass any part of what I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you this, you will not kill the negative pattern or the sin in your life. Repentance actually does have a formulated structure to it if you have the Holy Spirit of God through trusting in Jesus Christ already. I want to go through these five things. Number one, confession. This is this is simply agreeing with God. This may sound so simple and so no duh, but the amount of people who try to overcome without owning it, it's unbelievable the amount of people who just try to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get over this thing. You need to go before God and call it what it is. Jesus had to die for this. This is serious. This unchecked will be handed off to the next generation. This unchecked will either require God to wreck me or to leave me alone and have me be impotent for Jesus and for the kingdom for the rest of my life. So this is number one is confession. Confession is something that you do either um, to, we'll say, a pastor, a counselor, somebody who can help you and with God. There's two levels to the confession side. Some people try to do this stuff alone, but I think you're going to see as this pattern unfolds, true deep repentance, especially the darker the issues. If you try to do it alone by yourself, you will fail 99.9% of the time. Number two, exposure. You shine light on it because light kills sin. If you get caught in a sin and you confess 99% of it, but you leave the 1% in the dark, do you know what happens to that 1%? it grows like a feisty weed and its roots go deep this is why let me let me just the rest of what i'm about to tell you the vast majority of christians in the room will never get there because they can't get past confessing the 99% like you will confess the 99 but it's the 1% which is going to constantly come back to you and then recreate the negative pattern in your life The 100% is unfortunately the hardest part about true repentance. But if you're going to do it, that's where this is going to be the hardest part. Everything after this. Confession is easy. Agreeing with God for whatever reason, it's easy because it feels quiet. Telling a counselor or a pastor uh, who are obliged to keep it quiet and only between the two of you, that's easier. But confessing and exposing the light 100% on it is hands down the most difficult. Number three, replacement. Plucking it out, you are required to put something else in its place. By the way, this is repentance one on one, but sometimes we need to systematize it so that we don't bypass the most simple things here. So when you repent of one thing, just stopping it will not do any good for you. You need to replace it with things that bring God explicit glory. You need to replace it with things that give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And what you probably need is somebody really smart and wise to come alongside of you and help you figure out what to replace it with. The vast majority of people replace it with TV or entertainment, and that is not how you replace and kill sin. Once you pluck it out, you have to replace it with something good, honorable, and beautiful. Number four, legislation. Now, this is, again, the funny one to me, and some people get really worked up about this, but You have to create intentional and personal laws to increase holiness. The alcoholic, again, creates legislation around himself that says, I will not go to a bar. Whatever your sin is, whatever your pattern is, whatever your struggle is, you're probably going to have to create temporary or permanent legislation in your life. And then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to say that legislation because laws that aren't published are just good ideas. But these laws actually are going to be required if you're really going to do this for the people in your life that are appropriate to tell. These laws need to be published so that there is accountability to them. If it's just you, yourself, and I, again, 99.9% of us are going to fail at true repentance in this. Number five, testimony. You know that you have overcome when you begin to tell your story And you no longer bear the shame of it. Like when you just get caught, right? You don't want to tell the story because it's embarrassing. Eventually you get to the point where you're able to tell the story and your identity is not bound up anymore. When you can tell the story of your negative patterns over and over and over, this is like the final death blow to it. It's one of the most powerful things. Uh, even though number two is the hardest to get past, once you get past that, uh, honestly, number five can be one of the most freeing and beautiful things in your life. Here's, Here's why so many Christians are impotent for Jesus. Because you won't do these basic things with the sin and the patterns in your life. When I watch Jacob, I'm watching a guy out of control, downward spiraling. Downwards everyone around knows and sees this. Everybody reading in the room can look at this thing. I'm looking at this story and I'm thinking to myself, this is so unnecessary. And don't you just wish that somebody would sit down with Jacob and give him real, true, godly, good wisdom, call his sin on the floor and then shepherd him through this. That's what I want. Thankfully, the New Testament comes in, and it shows us these stories, and it just tells us these narratives, these experiences, these repeating of negative patterns, they are completely unnecessary. And guess what happens to Jacob? Jacob hands off his 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 deception, his favoritism from one generation to the next generation. And guess what his kids do? They lie. They betray. He chooses a favorite, Joseph they end up trying to kill him. I mean, this is just terrible. One generation takes your sin and they amplify it to the next. Now, this isn't one of those like, yay, happy clappy, everybody's in a good mood, God, you know, like this is one of those messages where I just I'm I'm praying that the Lord arouses a pattern in your life, allows you to look at this procedure and just says, "Listen, Uh, I have stopped on the exposure part of it because I'm I'm petrified of it. Uh, I've stopped at the legislation. I've stopped at the testimony side of it. Maybe there's some of you, you've gone one through four, and now it's time for you to tell your story so that other people can be encouraged and built up so they don't have to repeat your story in the same way. I want to give you the final so what. Number two, trust in Christ. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, here's what you don't have. You do not have reconciliation with God. You do not have forgiveness. You do not have the support and the help of God to help you overcome. If you have never trusted in Christ, you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our convictor, our helper. The Holy Spirit is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to the follower of Jesus these two things, reconciliation with God, unity with God, union with Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are going to struggle for the rest of your life to decisively overcome sin. And even, I want you to hear me, even if you do overcome a negative pattern, who cares if you go to hell? Who cares if you behavior modify for a season of your life, but it has zero eternal value? Conversely, to every believer in this room, when you give up and repent of your negative patterns, your sin patterns in your life, I want to tell you this. If you had the opportunity to meet all the people in heaven, every one of them would tell you this. We've never regretted never regretted giving up our sin patterns, and we wish we could have gone back and given up more because the payoff is a 1,000% worth it. If you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted in Christ, there's no payoff except for the temporary maybe happiness that you might experience. But you don't have forgiveness, and you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the eternal rewards of this. I just submit to you, Jesus Christ, trusting in him, and the promise for those who trust in him is true forgiveness. The Holy Spirit eternal rewards. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift that he gives you through faith in Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to take a, a moment and uh, I want to just have a time of silence where um, you ask God just one simple thing. Lord, is there a negative pattern, a sin pattern right now that I have yet to repent of? That's it. I'm going to take about a minute and then I'm going to pray And uh, we have a baptism actually coming up in the second service and uh, I'm excited to show you guys uh, a really incredible testimony. But let's take a minute right now and ask God, is there any sin patterns, negative patterns I've not repented of yet?